Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Greg Dybel grew up in the Church of Christ in Australia went to New South Wales Bible College in Sydney, and spent 15 years serving as a pastor and evangelist. One day, he attended a meeting during which Anthony Buzzard challenged him on his belief in the deity of Christ. Rattled, Dybul began on a quest to reassess all of his doctrinal convictions in light of Scripture. As a lifelong member of the Restorationist tradition, Dybul always wanted to practice the authentic Christianity of Jesus and his apostles and couldn't just slough off such important questions. The result was his book, They Never Told Me This in Church, an expose of how bad philosophy corrupted the teaching of Scripture. Here now is interview 49, They Never Told Me This in Church, with Greg Dybul. Greg Dybel, thanks for joining me today on Restitutio. My pleasure, Sean. Tell us a little bit about your background, Greg. Uh, did you grow up in a Christian home? What was that like for you? Yes. Uh, well, as you can gather by my accent, I am an Aussie, and uh, I grew up in a beautiful uh, town in Queensland called Toowoomba. Uh, then in those days, a population of about 60,000 people. It's known as the Garden City for, for good reason. Uh, beautiful flowers and vegetables and all sorts of amazing produce there. So, yes, uh, I uh, did grow up in a, a Christian family. Um, unfortunately, my father, uh, Spencer, was uh, killed in a tragic car accident when I was a lad of four years of age. Oh, wow. And uh, my brother was two and uh, my mother at the time was 26. She, of course, was devastated as the entire family and, uh, and the extended family and the whole community, really, because my dad was well known throughout the whole town. So uh, it, it really uh, was a, a tragedy which, uh, you know, took years and years to, uh, I guess, recover from. Out of that, uh, I'm guessing uh, my mother probably adopted some practices in our home, which she may not have felt comfortable with if we'd uh, had, had a dad. Namely, that every day before my brother and I went to school, Mum would uh, read us uh, from the children's Bible story books, and uh, we would always have a little family prayer time uh, before heading off to school. Uh, and uh, my mother was a very godly and very committed uh, and vibrant Christian, uh, in spite of that tragedy. And uh, every weekend, we were heavily involved in our local Churches of Christ church which um, I know when you mention the word Churches of Christ in the States, uh, it probably conjures up a, something a little bit different to, to uh, you know, the situation in Australia. And uh, as you know, the Stone-Campbell movement, I think it's more often known, or the Restoration movement in, in America, uh, certainly from the same roots, but we had more of a British influence over here in Australia. Uh, It was only later that the American evangelists from our Churches of Christ, uh, brothers and sisters in the States, came over here and used to hold evangelistic missions and crusades and and so on. But So we had an interesting mixture from Britain and from the States. With all of that, the Australian churches also took on their own sort of flavour. But by and large, very uh, Protestant, evangelical, 
and uh, very Bible-based uh, and uh, very cautious. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, probably, you know, outright would run from, from anything of denominationalism. And uh, each church was its own government and run by its own uh, eldership and uh, deacons and so on, and uh, always uh, very strongly simply Bible-based. Right. Uh, we, we grew up with some certain catchphrases, which, uh, you know, really stood me in good stead. But was, the Bible is our creed? Uh, well, yeah, we say no book but the Bible. No book, okay. Uh, yeah, no creed but Christ. In other words, the teachings of Jesus are our authority for individual life and for local church government. We certainly would say things like we're Christians only, uh, but we're not the only Christians. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so uh, we, we basically, as with Alexander Campbell, our desire was to break down every man-made denominational fence or barrier. Uh, we had an aversion uh, to the church creeds, the Apostles' Creed, I guess would be okay, but certainly the Athanasian Creed and all of the subsequent uh, church council creeds uh, we never learnt. We, we were always very suspicious of them because our understanding was if you can't explain your Bible doctrine using words in the Bible, then there's something suspicious about it. So uh, we had an aversion to the, to the church creeds, simply wanted to, to hear what Jesus himself had to say through his apostles and uh, certainly through the New Testament documents. So what, what happened in your life as you grew up and you uh, graduated from school? Did you go directly into ministry or did you have another career? Yes. Uh, well, to this day, I believe I'm still the youngest ever graduate from the Churches of Christ Theological Seminary in Sydney, which in those days was situated right on the beautiful Sydney Harbour, marvellous piece of uh, real estate. Um, and again, a very uh, fundamentally uh, evangelical sort of uh, four years of training there, graduated uh, when I was uh, 21 and went straight into a pastoral ministry uh, within uh, the Churches of Christ. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, really too, too young and I wouldn't recommend anybody do that these days. I would, I would uh, you know, if I had my time again, would certainly uh, suggest that it might be a little bit better to spend a few years getting a bit of uh, experience out there in the big wide world and uh, earning a trade or uh, a profession of some sort. But that's how I did it. From there, I uh, somehow, uh, well, I know it was in answer to, to earnest prayer for my part at the time. Uh, God opened the door for many uh, citywide evangelistic uh, crusades or campaigns is probably a better term these days. Uh, and uh, did a lot of uh, preaching all around Australia. Uh, in various centres and places, uh, all sorts of uh, public uh, preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah. So I was a pastor and an evangelist uh, in those years. How long were you a pastor and evangelist with the Church of Christ? Uh, that was for about 15 years. Okay, so, uh, so a good long which, while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by that stage, I, in all honesty, had probably... Uh, almost uh, burnt myself out. I mean, I had a wife and four little kids and uh, running all over the countryside. It was, not, again, not an ideal uh, situation. And, uh, and uh, I've got my wife to be eternally thankful, you know, for her, uh, you know, support and uh, faithfulness during those very, uh, you know, challenging times. After that uh, 15 years or so, I then 
felt I needed a bit of a sabbatical and so took some time out and went into uh, and became a, a qualified ambulance officer. I'm not too sure what it's, how it's described in the States, but uh, we call them uh, like paramedics. But I think you have the fireys over there that are paramedics, a little bit different. We're uh, completely sort of autonomous and uh, from the fire department here and uh, completely uh, medically trained and oriented, very highly qualified, actually. So that's what I did then for the next, uh, you know, uh, good while. Now, when you were in with the Church of Christ and you were preaching and everything else, did you start? How did you start to suspect there might be a problem with the Christianity that you understood at that time? Right. Well, there were some folks in the church at the time. Um, it was a very big church too, uh, and they invited me to a meeting one night. Uh, I remember it was a Friday night, and um, and uh, a certain international uh, speaker by the name of uh, Professor Anthony Buzzard was coming to speak just to a little group of about a dozen or so folk, and I was invited if I'd like to come. Uh-huh. And uh, and I, I suppose I smelt a rat. I thought, oh, this is, sounds interesting. But I said, yes, of course I'll come. Uh, I didn't realise when I landed on the doorstep that um, uh, that was going to be the beginning of, uh, you know, decades of an association with uh, Anthony and Barbara and so on. But... Uh, uh, Anthony had been warned by the host family that night, do not speak to this young firebrand about the Trinity. Any <laughs> other subject any other subject is fine, but don't speak to, to, to Greg about that because um, uh, you'll get yourself into a bit of a barney. So uh, at the end of the meeting when everyone went home, I was sitting there just uh, sipping my cup of tea and um, Anthony sidled up next to me and uh, the first question out of his mouth was, Greg, do you believe in the Trinity? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So what'd you say? I said, of course I do, Anthony. What sort of a silly question is that? Everybody believes in the Trinity except, of course, uh, uh, a few radicals like the uh, the Arians and the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, it's a dumb question. Of course I do. <laughs> uh-huh. What did he say? And uh, well, he he then uh, very skillfully and artfully asked me a couple of questions, which completely disarmed me. The first question was, he said, "Well, uh, being such a fine Bible scholar that you are, uh, which is the Old Testament verse most often quoted in the New, uh, loved by Jesus and His apostles above perhaps all other verses, uh, equally or if not, uh, you know, more than uh, Daniel seven thirteen." And uh, I looked at him and I I said, you know, off the top of my head, uh, Anthony, I don't know. And uh, he said, well, it's Psalm 110, isn't it? And I said, oh. He said, well, and of course, you know what that verse says, don't you? And I said, uh, (laughs) off the top of my head, I don't. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he said, well, it says the Lord Adonai said to my Lord Adonai, uh, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he said, Greg, you can see in the Hebrew Bible or understanding there are two lords, Adonai, always and only ever used of the Lord Almighty, um, and Adonai, always used of a human superior, in this case, David's messianic lord, a non-deity or occasionally an angel. So he said, you can see that clearly, can't you? Uh, by this stage, I was feeling a little bit embarrassed and a bit undone. Uh, but, of course, Sean, I had all of my, uh, you know, default verses. Uh, I said, well, of course, what about John 1.1? 1, 1? Uh, <laughs> and uh, what about uh, Colossians uh, 1.16 and, and Hebrews 5.8? I went through them all. 
And I remember particularly at one point he, he handed me the Greek New Testament uh, when I was discussing Colossians 1.16, all things were made by him. And he said, what does it say in the Greek? And uh, I read it and I said, now, how come I've never seen that before? It says in avto, in, in him or with a view to him. Uh, it's the dative of locale, not a date of agency. And uh, so uh, I started to feel, uh, you know, completely undone by this stage. And um, uh, so I just went, drove home that night feeling like uh, the expression I use in my book is like uh, I was a stunned mullet. Well, you're going to have uh, to explain that a little bit. We don't have stunned right. mullets over here. I we guess, just have regular yeah, I mullets. Guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess an equivalent, do you have in your uh, uh, lingo the expression like a deer in the headlights? Yeah, yeah, we have that. Okay, well, that's the Aussie equivalent is a stunned mullet. A mullet, of course, is a fish, and when you pull in this mullet, when you've caught him into your boat and he's flapping all around the bottom of the boat, you pick up a lump of wood and you hit him on the head. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant the haircut, the the mullet haircut. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah. Oh, we used to have those too. They're, they're, they're not stunned mullets; they're just ugly mullets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those are those are ugly mullets. Uh, yeah. So, as you as you uh, continue to think about this subject, mm. what was that like? Did it take a long time? Did you study for months? Uh, did you read books? I mean, what was that like? Yeah. Yes, I was in, I guess, limbo land or numb land for a couple of years thinking, wow, there's something to this. Uh, Anthony uh, very uh, graciously posted me a copy of his book, uh, The Doctrine of the Trinity, Christianity's Self-Inflicted Wound. And uh, I read that once and I thought, oh, uh, I've got some reviewing to do here. And I think I actually ended up reading it six times. And by this stage, I had made some other, you know, sort of uh, contacts and, and so on with a few books and whatnot and uh, felt, look, there really is more to this than, than you know, meets the eye. And uh, I've got some, uh, you know, and I suppose it rang true with my Churches of Christ heritage, Sean, in that uh, here, here was it's just simple Bible truth expressed in biblical terms and, and words and expressions. And I began to realize that there was a massive influx of, of post-apostolic and Greek influence on our uh, Christian doctrine today, you know, in so-called orthodoxy. All through this time, Sean, I, I, was, I was earnestly seeking the Lord. I was praying all the time, every day, constantly, Lord, you know, if I've been deceived, I want to be undeceived. Uh, and if you'll show me, you know, the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, then I'm going to follow and I'm going to obey no matter what the cost. But it was a pretty, it turns out, a pretty dangerous prayer because God took me at my word and I certainly uh, suffered consequences, uh, you know, in my uh, professional ministry life and uh, so on uh, as a result of uh, following the truth as I began to see it. Now, were you at this time still pastoring and serving in the Churches of Christ, or were you already in an ambulance uh, profession? Yes, no, not in. Not, I was not uh, in full time or paid capacity. Uh, I was still doing a bit of lay preaching and uh, you know helping out in that way. Uh, but my you know main paid profession was within the paramedic side of things and running around lights and sirens and uh, you know all that sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, my passion, of course, was always uh, to follow uh, you know my, uh, my my Christian faith in all of that. 
Okay. What happened next? I mean, did you get kicked out of your church? Did you uh, keep it quiet to yourself? How did people re- react? Mm. I don't have the gift of, uh, of uh, silence <laughs> uh, or uh, probably some might say even diplomacy. I uh, tend to uh, wear my heart on my sleeve, Sean. And, uh, and to me, it was an exciting new revelation to the subtitle of my, my book, uh, No One Ever Told Me This in Church, uh, is how to read the Bible with new eyes. And I was discovering a whole new world of uh, Bible understanding that I just couldn't keep quiet about. I had to, you know, talk about it. And uh, and anybody who, uh, you know, would give me a listening ear and a few minutes, you know, I, it wasn't long before uh, I'd be asking questions and uh, delving further into it. But, of course, um, for a lot of people to even examine what they believe is a very threatening exercise. Uh, as you know, our faith is a very private and personally and, and emotionally held experience. And to yeah. even challenge that and to challenge the foundations for a lot of people is to actually challenge their whole personal self-identity. Uh, but for me, as I say, I just want to know the truth. I, I want to follow an unadulterated uh, and pure, as much as I could get, you know, biblical understanding of that. And of course, not only was I exploring the whole area of the Trinity and uh, and uh, whether Jesus is God and uh, all that sort of thing, but it opened up whole lots of other doctrines that I felt I needed to look at as well, such as, uh, you know, the immortality of the soul. Uh, is the kingdom of God in heaven or is it uh, on a renewed and regenerated earth? All of those areas uh, I was also uh, passionately uh, following. So. Uh, as I say, I must admit I, uh, I uh, probably got myself into more hot water than I should have uh, just because I couldn't keep quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mm. at your local congregation where you went on Sundays normally, did mm. they ask you to leave or were you able to stay? I mean, I think there would be more space in the Church of Christ than in other denominations to say, hey, I'm just trying to get back to the Bible. I'm trying to restore Christianity back to its original form. Exactly. In fact, after my book was published, I remember one of the deacons in, in the church I still fellowship at uh, asking me, well, so Greg, why do you stay here? Why are you still here? And uh, that's exactly what I said to him, Sean. Well, I believe I am absolutely uh, an example of our, the very best of our Churches of Christ tradition, you know, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Uh, and where the Bible is silent, we're silent. His answer was, well, fair enough, you know, that's that's okay. Uh, unfortunately, Sean, since those earlier days, and we're talking now in the beginning of the 2000s, I guess, there has been a massive change uh, within Churches of Christ in Australia, and they've become solidly Trinitarian, and they've also now publishing for membership various creeds or statements of faith, which if you don't sign the bottom line on, you can't become a member. I was told by our local um, you know, church board of elders and deacons here and, and the senior minister that if I did not sign their statement of faith, then I would not be welcome as a member. So I said, right, I'm, I'm not prepared to sign it. Uh, and so I fellowship there, but I'm, I'm a person non gratis, I suppose. Uh, they won't allow me to share in any of the public teaching or preaching there. However, other churches of Christ in the area do have me there. I just preached last Sunday, for example, in a church of Christ in Brisbane. 
we ha also have a number of little fellowship groups in this area in Brisbane and in Melbourne and other places where, where uh, people with the same principles, uh, although they come from all sorts of denominational backgrounds, are warming to these uh, restorationist principles and wanting just to get back to the Bible. So I find myself pretty well occupied uh, in teaching and preaching still, but not by far and away the most of the churches of Christ would uh, anathematize me. Would you say that that's and, been the, the biggest consequence is being kind of marginalized in the in the church? Yes, I've found that extremely uh, difficult, personally upsetting, because I know what we're saying and and teaching is is really in line with our whole heritage, our whole Stone Campbell heritage, which is interesting. And in fact, when they had a, a meeting to establish all of this not long ago, you know, I was quite vocal and stood up and presented our, our history and uh, our heritage and uh, some of the great quotes from Alexander Campbell and so on. And uh, I was told to sit down and be quiet, which was a, a tragedy because uh, basically I said to them, look, if Alexander Campbell was standing here today and wanting to become a member of this church, uh, you would reject him. Of course, that doesn't go down too well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Looking back on it all, because, I mean, this is now 2018 at the time of this recording. Would you say it's all been worth it? Oh, absolutely. If I was thinking on just a purely human level, I'd say in one sense, no, the cost has been heavy because, I mean, I sit often there listening to uh, preaching that I consider is uh, either substandard or, um, you know, we're not standing up to the light of, the, of biblical doctrine and I'm muted. I can't say anything. But on the other hand, God is faithful and uh, doors open up and, uh, and you know, you get your opportunities and, and chances. And as you know, in these days of the Internet, uh, like I have a website, uh, which is, uh, you know, basic and I'm not very technically uh, sort of savvy, but uh, I do my best. And, uh, and I just find myself I'm really very occupied and, and quite uh, heavily uh, involved in, in ministry, although it's outside the denominational pale primarily of the Churches of Christ. I currently, Sean, have a young nephew uh, who is uh, going through this very thing in his church. His father, my brother, uh, was the senior pastor up until a couple of months ago when uh, after 20 years of establishing this church from a, a group of about 10 people now to hundreds and hundreds on acres, uh, he uh, was basically pressured by the Churches of Christ in the state of New South Wales. And uh, now my brother has stepped down. He didn't want to create any you know, issues in the, in the local church. And, but that church now is currently going through the upheaval of just looking at the whole question. So uh, there's a lot of pressure from the outside. Uh, and um, it's it's a tragedy, really. But we we uh, have to continue to fly the flag, don't we? Yeah, I mean, if you believe it's true, then you, you need to stand by it, right? Absolutely. Uh, let me ask you this. You mentioned before your book, They Never Told Me This in Church, which uh, I have the second edition. Uh, is there another edition to that? Uh, no, that, the, the second is the last and okay. only one so All far. Right. Uh, so yeah. let's talk about this book a little bit. What year did this come out? Uh, April of 2006, I believe. 2006. The and then, uh, yeah. so 2006 for the first edition, 2010 yep. for the second edition. Yes. What made you want to write this book? Uh, I guess I wanted to give my own apologia and defense of, of why I had come and how I'd come to this understanding. At the time, there were also my extended family were within Churches of Christ, were, were thinking I'd gone off the rails a bit. So uh, I felt I needed to, uh, for posterity and for my family's sake and for the wider church community, 
uh, officially put down, you know, how I'd come to, to uh, where I have and, and why. So that was uh, the motivation, I guess. I just, I, well, it, really, I, I fought writing the book all along, Sean, uh, until a particular crisis week when I mentioned before Charles hunting. Uh, and uh, Charles um, uh, came over, he has family here, to Australia, and he rang me up one day and he uh, said, uh, and I can't, excuse me, my American accent's not real good, but he said, uh, Greg, he said, on your next day off, do you think you could take me to Australia Zoo and see Steve Irwin and uh, and I want to pat a koala and a kangaroo before I die? <laughs> <laughs> that so, is a great, that's a great impression of Charles Hunting. <laughs> so, so I, I only had a very small little uh, two two door car, and uh, on the on the day when I had a rostered day off, I went up and picked Charles up. Uh, he could barely fit in my car. He was such a tall man. And uh, as soon as he sat down next to me, he leaned across and he put his hand on my knee and he said, Greg, he said, there's a book in you. And he said, and when you write it, uh, I will pay for the indexing. So um, <laughs> I thought, and inside I recoiled. I thought I know nothing about writing a book and I'm not going to write any book. So thanks for the offer, but no thanks, you know. Uh, anyway, so we had our day at Australia Zoo and he patted his koala and his kangaroo and went home happy but uh, a few days later I was sharing a few of these ideas with my brother who of course at the time was very suspect of my new direction and uh, I was just sharing with him some of my new insights and he said Greg why don't you put that in a book the third thing that happened in that very same week was when I was driving to work there was an interview by one of Australia's most famous agnostics uh, the son of a minister by the name of Philip Adams and Philip Adams was also talking about uh, interviewing a fellow about a particular uh, book and why we it's important to write down uh, our viewpoints and put them in a book. So I thought, well, three strikes and I'm out. Uh, and then I just <laughs> felt, well, I've got to write this book. I felt God was speaking to me. I had no idea. I, I sat down in front of the computer. I just dropped my wife, Christine, off to uh, for the airport. She was going over to Canada to uh, have some time with one of our daughters over there and I just came back and sat down in front of the computer and the night before in pencil I'd written a few little uh, ideas for chapter headings on a, an, a, an envelope and I sat down and I had no idea what I was doing and I stared at a blank screen for about half an hour and thought this is the daftest idea I've ever had I have no idea what I'm doing but I just felt I had to and and so I started to type a few things and and then the rest is history as they say yeah, so that's how it came about, rather reluctantly, but I knew I had to do it. And out came 470 pages with a <laughs> yeah. with a luxurious 30-page uh, double index of scripture and subject. So uh, th- thanks to Charles Hunting for that. And, uh, that's right. Yeah, and I must this... admit, uh, Sean, he, he was good on his word because when I'd finally written it, uh, Charles did come good, and I had no idea even then how much... Uh, what a process and what an expense indexing is, but Charles, uh, he came good and uh, he paid for the indexing. Yep, yep, very good. So who is the target audience for the book? Uh, When I wrote it, I had my mother in mind, Churches of Christ, as I say, wonderful Christian, but she was a bit dubious about this uh, new doctrine, I suppose. And uh, so I, I felt I had to write to her. Mum's uh, an uncomplicated, uh, very straight sort of uh, you know, thinking and forward sort of person. 
I felt, look, if, if she can't understand this, then uh, there's no point to it. So although a couple of places in the book, of course, by its very nature, you have to go into a little bit of heavier theological explanation and intricate doctrine, uh, but mostly overall I've tried to keep it uh, down to uh, layman's you know, sort of uh, level and the average person who reads it often says to me, look, you know, we, we've understood that really well, uh, whereas other, you know, sort of uh, explanations we've kind of battled a bit. So I, I hope I've achieved that goal. Uh, and the audience is, is the average person without a lot of theological sort of uh, training. Right. All right. So your, your average Christian or your average Bible-believing person who not so concerned about the truthfulness of Scripture, but the meaning of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and how, how to put it all together. Just uh, reading out the uh, contents here, you've got another cover-up, another world, another God, another Lord, another Jesus, another spirit, another hope, another gospel. Uh, you can almost title this book Another. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good one. I'm, but, actually, I'm actually thinking of putting some stuff into a second one, and I've wondered what to call it. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> But uh, it seems like the point here that you're you're making over and over again is that Christendom, the sort of inherited tradition we we all have in our various denominations, has over and over veered off course on different subjects when it comes to what the original apostles had written in the scripture and had believed and taught. So I mean, this is no small accusation. How has the book been received? Very well. Uh, initially, um, uh, one of the, the la- well, the largest uh, Christian chain bookstore in Australia is a, a bookstore that uh, initially uh, stocked my book. That's a long story, but uh, after two years, roughly, they then uh, sent me a very curt email uh, saying that uh, my book had caused them considerable problems and that they would no longer be stocking it. <clears throat> I wrote back to them and said, look, you know, you're a promoting the Protestant ideal of sola scriptura, free inquiry, reading the Bible with our own conscience in prayer before God. Uh, This book fits within that, you know, category. Um, But uh, I found out what had been happening was a lot of parishioners had been coming uh, to their their pastors or their priests or whatever and uh, were asking questions which they were feeling very uh, uncomfortable about. So uh, they said to, over time a number of these uh, larger denominational uh, people contacted the, the bookstore and said, if you continue to stock uh, Greg Dival's book, uh, we will advise our clientele to uh, give you a wide berth. So it was the power of economics and uh, that uh, killed it with that. But that gave us two years of a, a window that uh, God greatly used. And, um, and uh, there are many people throughout Australia who got the book at that time, uh, ministers included, who have been revolutionized in their understanding and their walk with the Lord because of it. So I'm very grateful for that. Wow, that's so tragic. So but- that's when I felt I had to get on the web then because, um, uh, you know, if they're going to close that door down, uh, but again, I'm no IT specialist, and I just I fought it for a long time. This idea that I really should put some stuff on the on the internet, so that's why I now for just over two years have been sort of getting to this uh, website, uh, the Bible Jesus, 
uh, together and uh, just writing it. And that's also opened up amazing uh, audiences, as you would understand. I wish I had your technical ability to uh, do your video <laughs> clips and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we battle on, don't we? And all together, and I've got your, uh, your link on my website and uh, people who do a better job than me. So hopefully we can help a few. Well, yeah, we're, we're all in this together, aren't we? Absolutely. So your book is on Amazon though, right? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Although, again, some people in different countries, like I had someone from uh, South Africa write to me or email me recently saying, look, we can get your book on Amazon, but uh, it's terribly expensive. So uh, I arranged to have a package of books sent over to them a lot cheaper than what they could get them that way. But they can also get them through the Atlanta Bible uh, uh, College there and so on. But uh, it, it is it is a, a challenge to, to get and, uh, you know, to keep the price down. I don't have any royal take any royalties for it or anything like that. I just want it to be as cheap as possible for as many people as uh, you know want it. Yeah, I'm just checking Amazon right now. It says uh, it's available in the United States for sixteen dollars, which is a very typical price for a, a book of this size. So, oh, that's um, good. Yeah, mm. and it's got thirty-seven reviews with oh, okay. uh, four point four out of five stars. So that's. That's pretty wow. good. Pretty good. Well, I, I don't even look at that. You know, you don't want to believe believe your own press, so I don't I don't read that. In fact, and, and they're all me. written by your 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 kids and your wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Very good. Well, let's talk about the website. It's thebiblejesus.com. Uh, you had launched it a, a time ago. What was that? A year ago? You think? Uh, just over two years. Two ago. years ago, and then uh, recently, you just did this massive update. What sorts of resources do you have on there? Uh, okay, I've just got a little bit of a, a statement about uh, uh, what the, the aim of the website is, a little bit of a personal story about me, a little bit more detail perhaps than what we went into with you today, uh, a bit of a statement of faith, not a creed, but just a bit of a statement of what I believe. Uh, the main part, I guess, would be the articles section, various sections there uh, uh, on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and uh, I like uh, oh, apologetics. I, I mean, a, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of young people today need, um, you know, a bit of a, a help with uh, evolution and all that sort of stuff. I try to address all those modern issues, modern, uh, you know, developments in the world today. I just put one up recently about Pakistan's uh, Prime Minister, a famous cricketer, uh, and all that sort of thing. I try to keep it current as well as, uh, you know, theological and devotional. Uh, a little bit about my book, some questions and resources uh, and so on. So uh, I'm, I need to get, as I say, some expertise on doing a few little video clips or something on there. Yeah. These days, people don't want to read much. They want to listen and, and while they're on the trot, don't they? Yep, yep. So uh, <laughs> you have this uh, whole list of articles here. It looks like... Uh, really dozens of articles and they're all are they all about like five to seven pages something like that uh yes most would be uh so yeah. you know well you've it's got like a, a lot of them are seven good, pages yeah 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 you've got to have a good cup of coffee and uh, and take it through a lot and you know I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of those articles and uh and i try also sean to put stuff in there which is uh, not just a rehash of, of our other great, uh, you know, teachers like uh, Anthony Buzzard and uh, so on, but uh, uh, I try to give new insights, uh, and um, I think I've done that. Very good. Mm. So people can check that out, especially those who are who prefer reading over listening and, and videos and all that, because there are, there are plenty of people in that category. That's uh, right. People can get your book on Amazon or through the Atlanta Bible College. And then uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, frequently asked questions. 
Yes. So you've got you've got a lot there on that. Right. So I mean this is this has been a lot of work this website. This is not just like a little thumbnail sketch of your life, a picture of you and then hey go buy my book. I mean this is fresh research material that you've been developing and putting out. Yes, absolutely. I mean um I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist in many ways, and my wife would say in other ways not so. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do know when I put something on on the site there that I, it's, it's hopefully it's uh, well written and uh, and uh, helpful. Uh, and uh, so that's my aim to make something of quality. Yes. Let's talk about the movement in Australia. Are are people yes. coming to see these truths about the kingdom, about who Jesus is? You know, obviously, I don't live any. I live on the other side of the world. Are you meeting more people, and uh, are groups sort of organizing, or is it pretty sparse? Yes, uh, it's um, it's gathering pace, Sean. We have um, a number of little uh, fellowships now that are meeting uh, throughout Australia. Three that I know of, uh, and there's a large group uh, in Sydney as well. Not in any official sort of group, but they are, they are supporting each other, and there's a lot of people there. Of course, Australia being a, a large continent, uh, not quite as big as the States, but not far behind, you know, we have massive distances and uh, we have a lot of people who are isolated, uh, basically rely on the website and, uh, and other resources like that. But I wouldn't want to give a false impression either. By far and away, the, the, the huge majority of Christendom, like uh, throughout the West, I think is uh, struggling, uh, is very uh, solidly... Um, uh, Roman Catholic and uh, Anglican in its orientation, so far as its doctrine of God and uh, and uh, so on. We have three fellowship groups here uh, in Australia that are, are active and uh, meet monthly. So, uh, and that's only in the last uh, you know year or so that's happened. So things are gathering pace. Yes. And what what towns are those in? Uh, one here where I live on the Sunshine Coast, which is about an hour's drive north of Brisbane, uh, the capital of the state of Queensland. Uh, there's one group that meets in Brisbane and there's another group that meets in Melbourne that I went down to recently. So, But as I say, there are lots of other isolated folk around the country as well. Have you had any contact with the Christian Disciples Church? Uh, yes, uh, that one's in Melbourne, I believe. That comes, I think, from uh, the pastor uh, Cho, wasn't it? Uh, what was Eric name? Chang. Um, Eric Chang, that's yeah. the one. Yes, yes, they uh, they are in Melbourne, and uh, the little group that I mentioned uh, are in contact with that group. Uh, they're saying, however, whilst you know it's a, it's a fantastic and alive, uh, you know, growing church. Nevertheless, when they go there, uh, it's uh, all in Chinese, so that's a bit difficult uh, for the folk that to meet in this other group. What you, you in Australia, everyone doesn't speak Chinese as a second language. <laughs> it's getting that way. <laughs> it's getting that way. Uh, we're we're we're, uh, we're under threat. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's great to hear. I've I've got an interview with. Uh, I will actually have played it before this interview with Calvin Chan, who actually lives fairly close to me, just about five or six hour car ride. Although he's in Canada, he uh, shared about the whole history of that group, the Christian Disciples Church, and it's so exciting mm-hmm. to see what God is doing in these Asian countries, all independent of you or me, and you know, just this man that read his Bible and tried to prove the Trinity and, and just discovered that it wasn't there. Um, <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. 
it is. I, I would ask you to dream with me for a moment. I mean, how does the future look to you? When you look at the big picture, the world, of course, is uh, getting darker and darker. And um, it's a bit like sitting, I don't know about in, in the States, but we used to go to the, what we call the pictures or the theatre when we were young. All of the, uh, the, the lights would eventually go dimmer and dimmer and, and you knew that the main event was about to come. And when the lights finally went out, you know, the big screen popped up with your, with your, you know, your, your main event. Uh, and I guess when we look at the world, the lights are going out. Uh, we're certainly living in a post-Christian age. And yet at the same time, God's truth in the sons of light is getting brighter and brighter. And uh, so I think we're going to see this contrast between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Uh, we're going to see exceptionally horrible things and we're going to see increasingly beautiful things as the kingdom uh, gets closer and closer. So how do I see things going? I, I, I certainly see insofar as the Christian churches are concerned, uh, uh, official Christendom, I think, is, uh, is, is going to be severely under stress and pressure. In the States, I, I, I follow the States fairly closely. There's a lot of anti-Christian sentiment in the media and the press uh, and so on, and it's certainly uh, following suit over here. And I think that you're going to see more and more the need for Christians, as indeed in the apostolic days, to meet in uh, you know their own homes, uh, in more and more uh, smaller and more uh, private sort of uh, you know fellowship groups. Uh, and I think so. Less organisation, more inspiration. I'm hoping is the order of the day for for uh, God's people. Okay. Well, uh, mm. one last question: If you could change one thing about biblical Unitarians, what what we're doing today, what would it be? I guess uh, I I feel we've got to have a little bit more spontaneity and a little bit more life. It's all very well to be doctrinally sound. Uh, and, uh, you know, to have all of our T's crossed and, and I's dotted. But, uh, you know, we've, we've got to come across, I think, uh, far more, uh, you know, spontaneous and uh, uh, with a little bit more of a, with fear of using a wrong word perhaps, but it's, it expresses, if you use it in the biblical term, a bit more of a charismatic approach. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not talking about necessarily speaking in tongues or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, following following the life of the Lord Jesus. I mean, after all, each Christian is united to the living Savior. And uh, through him, through the one mediator, we are united with the one living and true God and Father. And from his throne, there must flow through Christ himself, uh, through each one of us and corporately, the life of God, the power of God. The, the love of God in a, in a warm and engaging way. So uh, if I know anything about the state in, in America, you're sitting on this mountain uh, of treasure uh, doctrinally, but, uh, you know, there's got to, there's got to be, uh, you know, the old, the old wine skin, as it were, has got to be, uh, you know, perforated and punctuated and, and broken down so that God's life can flow out I think that's that's what we, we're missing. We we need uh, some you know lively um, lively engaging with our community, uh, and and that the gospel can flow in the power of the Spirit of God. I mean, the, the, you know, we we are we are tapped into the the greatest power in all the, the universe, and that's got to come across in lives transformed, lives that are in, in you know holy and filled with the grace and the truth of the Lord. And I think that's to me is is a little bit what we need to concentrate a bit more on. Very good, very good. Thank you for 
pointing that out. I think that's extremely relevant. I mean, if you go to visit a, a home church or, uh, I mean, I'm in a traditional church here, and, and you come in and everyone is drab and they're judgmental and they're all like, oh, I, I just have to be here. Who wants to go to something like that? Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but if absolutely. you go in and, and people are warm and they're full of love and there's yeah. there's a joy permeating the atmosphere absolutely. and people are genuinely interested in you and absolutely. you know the, that the the worship is exciting too. Um, absolutely, and we know that you know we say we we believe in prayer. God does answer prayer today. He, I mean, he, he answers it in our lives. And, and so when young people see the reality, not just of what we say, but the way we walk and live, I think that's when we'll really make an impact. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's very true, Sean. As you say, when people, I walked into a church not long ago and I felt like asking everybody, how much do you charge to haunt a house? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> like you say, I mean, you just want to turn around and walk out. You, you know, it's like a poor death pool over the place. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking some time today. Did you have any final thoughts or any other uh, points you'd like to make? No, Sean, I hope I haven't raved on too much. But uh, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I hope, um, as I say, my Aussie accent has uh, been understandable. Oh, no, no. Americans are suckers for Australian accents. I mean, we absolutely love them. Oh, okay. Can't can't get enough of them. Uh, I try to actually. I try to keep away from uh, all of our Aussie lingo because well, like the lingo stuff. is difficult yeah. for us. Yeah, uh, but yeah. the accent we love. So I oh, okay. uh, appreciate the effort there. Thanks for so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Sean, and uh, God bless you. And uh, and you're doing a great job. And I must. Can I just say too? I've really enjoyed uh, your recent interviews with uh, Professor Bill Schlegel. Oh yeah, isn't he? Uh, isn't is, aren't those great? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I wish we could get those into every Christian house around the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely marvelous. Yeah. Yeah. So good on you. Well done. Bless you. And uh, and uh, you know. Uh, and you uh, too. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Take care. Catch up. Bye. Goodbye. That's it for this interview. You can visit Greg Dibel's website at thebiblejesus.com. I've got links in the show notes for this episode, which you can get at restitutio.org on interview number 49. And I also have there a link to his book, They Never Told Me This in Church on Amazon, as well as a YouTube video where you can see and hear Dibel himself sharing his testimony. And if you would like to get in touch with him, you could do so by email Greg at thebiblejesus.com. Also, we've been getting a lot of feedback on a post from last Saturday called An Idea About the Intermediate State. I've had a number of people writing in, both pro and con, too much to read out here. But just to let you know about it, this was a blog post where I quote N.T. Wright, who's quoting John Polkinghorne, the Cambridge physicist, who used the analogy of God downloading our software onto his hardware until the day comes when he gives us new hardware on which to run our own software once more. This is sort of an analogy of the intermediate state. And I think it's a very helpful analogy where there is some sort of continuity through the death state so that the same person emerges in resurrection rather than a copy. In other words, this is the whole issue of a sustained personal identity. And the question is, if somebody clones you, they get your DNA blueprint and they reconstitute you, and they were able to 
install all of your memories and experiences and personality and all the rest so that there were actually two yous. Who among us would say that the new you was really you? It's a copy of you. So, for example, if we kill off the original you and then make a copy of you, that's still not you. It's a copy of you. This is the problem with soul death during the intermediate state. The idea that if something of you, the actual individual, whether you call it the mind, the soul, whatever, doesn't in some way exist, even if unconscious, through the intermediate state, then you don't actually get resurrected. A copy of you does. And I realize that this is a, a sort of a philosophical issue, but it is something of interest to me, at least. I think you're fine if you're not interested in this. I think if you're, I think you're totally fine and justified to stick with biblical language and say, well, look, the Bible says that we are asleep, and then uh, when Christ comes back, he awakens us. I think that's totally fine. I'm just curious how that all works. So I thought this was an interesting analogy. Some folks really did not like it. Others really did like it. So, hey, if you want to join in the conversation there, check it out at restitudio.org. The post is called An Idea About the Intermediate State. And let me know what you think. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.